Live from the Old Church Concert Hall in Portland, Oregon, it's Portland Story Theater's Urban Tellers. May the narrative be with you. My family moved from New York City to the suburbs in Long Island the summer before I went into first grade. And I remember that first day of school, I was so excited I was going to meet all these new kids and everyone was going to want to be friends with me. It was going to be great. So I get into class only to discover that my entire class was all together for kindergarten the year before and they all knew each other and I was the only one who didn't know anybody. The teacher definitely took pity on me and she picked one of the kids out of the group, a kid named Mark, and basically asked Mark to give me a tour of the school, get me acclimated, which he did. And Mark and I really hit it off, and quite frankly, from that day forward, we became the closest of friends. I've thought about how to explain to you the nature of that friendship. An analogy would be, for those of you who've seen the movie Stand By Me, Mark was the River Phoenix character. He was the coolest kid I'd ever met. He was in control of every situation, mature beyond his years, and if it was possible to be the big man on campus in first grade, <laughs> he was it. <laughs> now I can say all that because, as in the movie, I was definitely the Will Wheaton character. <laughs> not cool. <laughs> Cerebral, but not cool. And I looked up to my friend Mark. I worshipped him. He was, he was my hero as we grew up together. I learned a lot about how to act, how to carry myself from my friend Mark all the way through elementary school, middle school, high school. And after high school, of course, we graduated and went on to college. I went to school up in Boston. Mark went to school at Cornell. Now, Cornell is a bit of a pressure cooker kind of school. It's in upstate New York in Ithaca. And Basically, the sky is gray the entire winter, which I know we can all relate to as Portlanders, but then you factor on top of that the cold and the snow. Very depressing place to be, if you ask me. Mark went up there, and he was definitely not the big man on campus anymore. In fact, he struggled a lot with academics as well, to the point that at the end of his freshman year, Cornell basically told him that he wouldn't be allowed back for sophomore year, that he had to really take some time off to get his shit together. So he went home, worked, worked all the way through the summer, worked through the fall semester. And during that fall semester, he came up to visit me up in Boston. We had a great weekend together in Boston. And I talked to him while he was there and basically said, man, you got to transfer, okay? This Cornell thing is not working out for you. You're not happy there. Transfer to my school, transfer to any school. Just you have to get out. But he, of course, didn't see it that way and wanted to finish out what he had started. So he did go back to Cornell for his second semester sophomore year. I remember it was March of that year, and I was home visiting my parents during my spring break. I remember we were sitting around the dining room table and I was telling them all about the courses I was taking. I was going to be declaring a new major. Quite honestly, life was going pretty good 
Then the phone rang. I went into the kitchen to answer the phone, and it was a friend of, a mutual friend of Mark's and mine, who was actually going up to Cornell to visit Mark for his spring break, who was calling to tell me that Mark had disappeared. And he had left a nine-page suicide note in his dorm room. I still remember hearing that, and it felt like someone punched me in the chest. I remember collapsing on the kitchen floor, my parents coming running into the kitchen, both of them looking down at me, wondering what the hell just happened. I listened to the rest of that conversation in a catatonic state as my friend basically explained to me the contents of Mark's suicide letter. To be honest, the letter was somewhat incoherent and didn't really give any clear picture as to why Mark had chosen to commit suicide. But it was very clear that his plan was to jump off one of the bridges at one of the gorges that dotted the Cornell campus. Then it got a little weird because as I said, a lot of snow in Ithaca, New York in March, and the police were unable to find a body. So we didn't know what had happened. Now, I'm not a very vivid dreamer, but I remember in the weeks after that, having very specific dreams that my friend Mark, my hero Mark, there was no way he had committed suicide. And that what he must have done was just run away from his problems, run away to a new city to start a new life, and it was just going to be a matter of time before he called me and that we could reestablish that friendship. Of course, as you can imagine, that's not the way this turned out. About 30 days later, when the ice and snow melted, they did find Mark's body in the bottom of a ravine. Then the question started. How could I have not seen this coming? How could I have not known the pressure that he was feeling and what that might lead to? And then the big one, what else could I have done to help save my friend Mark? Mark's family and friends also asked the school. We asked Cornell, what did you do? Because from our seats, it sure looked like they just let him back in school and threw him in the deep end of the pool. We wanted to know what had they done to help make that transition better. Because quite frankly, they were the adults in the room. They're the ones with the experience, unfortunately, with teenage suicides, as are all institutions. Cornell's reaction to us, the response, was basically, not our problem, that's not our job, you're the family, you're the friends, you're the ones who know him best, you should have known, you should have seen it coming, you should have done something to stop it. We were angry. There's just no other way around it. My father, who was a Cornell grad and was a practicing psychiatrist, wrote a letter to the school university president basically saying, how could this happen at my school that I love? How could you guys have just thrown this life away? Mark's father took an ad out in the second page of the school newspaper, the entire page, and published my father's letter for everyone to read. 
the letter actually got a fair amount of national publicity. This was a big deal, the suicide. So much so that the Phil Donahue show was planning to do a show about teenage suicide. This was a growing problem that they had recognized. They saw my father's letter and they called my father to ask him if he wanted to go on the show to talk about teenage suicide and how to prevent it. My father didn't necessarily want that publicity because of his private practice, but he suggested that they might want to talk to his son. So Phil Donahue's people called me, and I realized I was still so pissed at the response that we had gotten from Cornell from the generic institution to say that a bunch of 19-year-olds, that we were supposed to be the ones to have figured this all out. I was so pissed, I wanted to get that message out, how wrong that was. So I agreed to go on the show. Phil Donahue flew me out to Chicago, my second flight ever, and I went on the show. I was nervous as you can possibly imagine. But I think I did okay. And I presented my, I got my message out, and I was very proud of myself for how I did. And I felt like that day, like I may have actually done some good. A few years later, I got married. My wife and I had two boys. And we got down to the job of parenting. My boys pretty typically as they went through middle school and high school, trying to get, you know, whether it was trying to get good grades, trying to do well on their soccer teams. It was only then really that Mark's, the memory of Mark's suicide really came flooding back to me. You see, in the intervening years, I had really struggled to think about how much pressure he must have felt and how that affected him. And here I was now, needing to figure out how much pressure to put on my kids to get them to do better. And when it came time for any discipline, how much disciplining I should do, how harsh should it be. And I can tell you with every one of those steps, the fear that I felt that whether I would push them too far, it was palpable for me throughout their entire growing up and would the results of that ever be so dire? The fact of the matter was, I had become the adult in the room. I was now the one with the experience, and I should have known. But if I'm honest with myself, I really didn't have any better answers as a parent than I had many years before that as a pretty confused, innocent 19-year-old.